right, hello and welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan and Josh. Hello, everyone. And we have two special guests for you today. Back again, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Tony Talks from TikTok. <laughs> and we have Ken Drew from Taboo Topic joining us yet again, although it's been a while. It has. It's been a while since I've been on your show in particular anyway. That's true. At least this segment. Uh, Ken and I have been doing our blueprint segment where we kind of propose alternatives to the government style that we have. Uh, so you can check that out. And remember, you can really help out our channel by liking and subscribing to this channel and follow us on our social medias at Between the Liars. And today we're going to discuss what I can only describe as a political ploy, given that President Biden has had two years to forgive student debt. He campaigned on it and he chooses to release it right before midterms, at least 10 weeks out. And if you don't know, President Biden has promised to forgive $10,000 in student loans for individuals making less than a 140,000 annually on an individual basis and 250,000 per household. So let's go ahead and why don't we just start with, uh, I know Josh had mentioned this before we went live. Let's talk about the situation that leads to people taking out loans and getting in the situation where they have mass amounts of interest. Because if you don't know anything about loans, what gets you is the interest. It is not the principal or the amount you took out. Yeah, there are people who have paid on their student loans for 10, 15 years. And for some of them, they still might owe more than the original loan they took out because the interest rate on some of these federal student loans, um, whether they be from like the student loan programs the federal government has, or then the extreme worst case is entirely private companies offering student loans, which offer some of the worst um, interest rates. Predatory, like 8, 10, 12 percent yeah. for loans. Uh, uh, let's see, Ken or Tony, what do you guys think about uh, just current status quo? Like it, it's, it seems to me that you, you've you've got this expectation, right? There's the expectation you will go to college. Uh, your your high school education is not good enough for a lot of jobs. Now you can go into a lot of blue collar work, but your white collar jobs they want either a lot of experience and a degree, or a degree, or just a degree. So it seems like we've kind of at least created this expectation that people will go to college. What do you think on that? Well, I definitely think it's predatory. Um, I think it's absolutely stupid how you're pretty much guaranteed to surpass your principal amount when you sign up for student loans. And so you can take out a $10,000 student loan, for example, in a super uh, very basic scenario. But $10,000 student loan, as Josh mentioned, 15 years later, you're still paying that same loan, but you've only paid me like four or $5,000 of that principal down because the majority of those payments is towards interest, which I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, so that's like one of my biggest gripes. And this is coming from someone who doesn't use student loans to pay for college tuition either. So um, I have a lot of friends who went to college and I it bothers me that they're still working like two, three jobs to pay for not only their own bills, but also try to pay down their uh, situation for student loans. And so it's one of those things where we kind of wonder why our generation is having a hard time moving up the economic ladder. Well, signing up when you have the entire society, like pushing them to go to college, like right out of the gate. And then you tell them um, if you want, if you want a good, decent job, you have to get a bachelor degree. And if you can't afford it, oh, don't worry, we'll cover you. We'll cover for you. But we won't let you know the uh, ins and outs of what's actually going to happen with the next 10, 15 years or 20 years or so. So uh, that's my biggest gripe with the student loan program. I don't know. I think that it's definitely predatory. Uh, I, I, I don't really think that's up for debate. I, like, I, I, 
I think it's predatory to essentially push the idea that everyone needs college. Uh, and, you know, some jobs, some professions do like actually do, in fact, need college. Right. Like engineers, doctors, anything STEM. Right. You, you more than likely need uh, a college degree. I don't have an issue with that. Uh, teachers and things like that. But I think the issue is that we have somehow pushed the idea. And I know why, honestly, but we pushed the idea that everyone needs college and we need to go to college for four years. And the problem is I would, I can agree with, I, I could agree with that if we keep it as simple as community college, but we have uh, romanticized the idea of the college experience and the college life. Right. And you can't get that at a community college. Right. So we, we've essentially pushed this idea where we need to like, go to these big universities to get our degrees, to get jobs that won't be able to pay for them. Right. Like a teacher who goes to Yale and a teacher who goes to the community college is still a teacher nonetheless. Right. But people go to these big universities, spends all this money and they, they there's no they will never be able to pay off the loans for it. They take out dozens of thousands of dollars to be able to pay for the loans, but they their career won't make for it. I know that it's already too late. We're kind of already in there. But I, I was thinking about it. One thing I think could be a solution is I don't want to say bar certain uh, degrees and uh, from going to certain colleges, right? Like you don't want teachers going to like, I mean, like a, like a grade school teacher, not like a professor, but like a grade school teacher. Like they'll never be able to pay off their bills if they go to big name $60,000 a year schools, right? So, but you know who can? High-end lawyers, doctors, oh, and doctors in med school is something different. So- <laughs> It's a whole nother mountain of debt. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole nother, <laughs> but you know what? That's that's a different discussion entirely because that's yep. a very small subset of people. But well, I, I, I don't know, I think it's just- it's just preying on the fact that people are 18, you know, they don't know what they don't, they don't really know what they want to do for the rest of their life. I've watched yep. so many people get years in their degrees and then change it. Yep. And then they're going to the big schools, you know, LSU, uh, what is it called? UGA, you know, other yep. big schools and spending all this money and then their the career can't pay for it. So I, I think it's yep. predatory, but we're well, already too, we're too deep in at this point. That we are too deep in at this point. And the, there's a couple of things I want to touch on. Number one, uh, the difference between the community colleges and those big Ivy League four-year universities. What you're supposed to be paying for is the alumni network. So if you go to Harvard, you're supposed to, by by nature of the degree connection, you're supposed to have access to that alumni. Oh, you went to Harvard. I went to Harvard. But the problem is, <laughs> if I go to Harvard for an MBA versus if I go to Harvard for an English degree, that network is not going, and I started as an English degree, sorry to my English degrees, like, and, and this is the other thing I want to touch, touch on that Tony was getting at. I think, and I agree with you, we can't like mandate what people go to college for, but there are degrees that are just not good to spend your money on because you don't get back what you've paid for it. English is going to be one. Virtually all of the gender arts, studies. gender studies, um, anything that has to do uh, with like political science, there's an oversaturation in the market of those. So when you apply to law school, I'm sorry, but by and large, unless you've got exceptional other things to present along with that, you're not going to stand out. Anything pre, pre-law, pre-vet, pre-med, those are things that the only way that degree holds any weight is if you go into the field after that. So if you're pre-vet and you're like, you know what, I don't want to be a vet. Congratulations, you have a degree that will virtually get you almost nothing. So it's it starts with choosing something that doesn't have the return and that again goes back to they're 18 years old and I, I'm trying to change the mindsets of students and tell them as I encounter them don't think about what you want to study think about what you want to do for your career and then work backwards think about the degree that will get you there because I was a person who started with 
Uh, and unfortunately, I still finished in four years. But for my undergrad, I started thinking, well, what, what's something I can tolerate the time in college for so I get a degree? I didn't think what's going to get me the job that I want at the end. And that's most people's experience. And I think institution choice definitely plays into it. And I think it's even outside of what you select as your major and what in particular you want to study. Because in my personal opinion, as someone who teaches college classes, you should never, ever be paying more than $10,000 a semester in tuition. If you are, you are getting ripped off badly <laughs> because $10,000 a semester is at the upper limit of what you should be willing to pay. And as a grad and student, you should pay zero. They should be paying yeah, you. <laughs> if, if you are and, and I will say this even a little bit harshly. If you are taking out loans to pay for your graduate degree, why? Because yeah. if you were not offered a position at the school to get a scholarship and to get your tuition waived and get a teaching position at the school, how do you think you're going to get hired to a tenure track position if you can't win a graduate assistant position? Yeah. Not to be mean to people like applying to graduate school who don't get assistantships, but really, if you can't outcompete the other graduate students, you're not going to outcompete people for already very competitive professor positions. And you're paying Man, to be I depressed. Knew, I wish I knew about this sooner. <laughs> yeah. No. Like, I, <laughs> I, like if you want, especially like if you have, you know, if people are getting master's degrees to go on into business or to get a manager position at the work, entirely different field. You know, we can talk, you know, that can be more return on investment based thing. But if, if you want to work in academia and you're not already just getting kind of it handed to you because they're like, yes, we want you to work here, then, you know, and a lot of times that just means applying to different schools because different schools appreciate and are looking for different types of candidates. But you shouldn't take out loans to pay for graduate degrees. 100% um, agree. <laughs> writ large, they're not worth it. Yeah. You really, you really, you should be really intentful about going to graduate school. In the first well, place. and like, it's, <laughs> it's also worth noting that the majority of it, when we say there's, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars in student loan debt, most of it is held by grad students. Like there's a very large chunk who needed to get through undergrad. And I'm not saying that you should just say, well, I'm not going to go to undergrad if I can't afford it. But don't take out loans because you can't afford it to then get a degree that will not land you in a job that has uh, a very high desirability rate in the market. Art history. If you can land a job doing something that you would enjoy is it going to pay your bills and pay your loans? Probably not. And I think that's a large part of the equation that gets completely discounted. Is it like, well, they can't make their payments. I'm like, well, we need to start learning to distinguish between what is a hobby and what is a career or a job. And I've done that with this podcast. I have learned I'm not going to be paid. None of us on here. I Tony might be. I don't know. You might be monetized, but the rest of us. Wait, why, wait, why me? I don't know. You've got a lot of followers. Fun money. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't want to make assumptions. <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, at least for Josh and I in this one, and also for Ken, there is not sustainable money coming in from this. So we've made it a hobby, which means that it takes lower not pressure. That attitude. <laughs> You're right, and there is an unfortunate paradox. It's like, well, you know, you, you, you if you don't throw your whole all being into it, it's not going to happen. Uh, but also, I mean, you got to learn to cut your losses. I, I cut my losses early. <laughs> See, I can't relate. It's only full steam ahead for me. I, I, I don't know how to. If, if, if I learned one, one of the main things I learned from my mother, it's never half ass. You know what I'm saying? It's, I mean, it's only full steam ahead. That is the attitude to make it happen, though. It I is. I mean, once you set your mind on it, you just got to grind, grind, grind. Um, 
then you can always make something magic happen. This is why Tony has way more followers than we do. You know, I mean, it's, it's just... I, no, I, I'm going to keep it a buck. I have no idea how I have so many followers. It's been two months. It's been two months and I'm almost at 50K. I have no, give, I have it's, no you're idea. professional and you're good at your job. Give yourself some credit. Uh, yeah, professional. I've made like, a, <laughs> I think I made $5 from TikTok or whatever. Yeah, yeah, professional. Yeah, yeah. One thing I think that's kind of interesting, like I mentioned earlier about the romanticizing of college uh, education is I think one thing that's kind of problematic is making it so it, the reason I, like I I, don't, I I didn't finish college. I don't want to say I dropped out. Let's say I'm taking I'm taking an extended hiatus. Let's say it that way. Um, but, you know, I, at some point in time, I realized it was a scam, quote unquote. Right. Like think like, for example, my best friend's father is in the police force. He's third ranked in his uh, in his uh, precinct. He can't move up any, at least to my knowledge, it might have changed. I think he got his degree, but he couldn't move up any higher in his precinct. He could not become higher than third because he didn't have a college degree. He didn't even really need one. He'd probably been there longer than everyone else, but he didn't have a college degree, so it didn't matter, right? And it's I think that's the case for a lot of things, right? Like think of like you mentioned earlier, uh, Ryan, like the white collar jobs, right? Yep. How many white collar jobs actually need a college degree? Like if you're doing like computer science, fine, right? If you're doing coding, fine, right? But how many jobs that you, how many cubicle jobs that you could just sit in an office for? Do you actually need a degree where they essentially force you to have one and then you just never use anything that you had from it? I think that it, it, it's predatory because it's, you know, it needs to be, you know, they need to make the selling point of you, you need degrees, you need to spend money on degrees. And then with that part, along with the romanticizing of the college life, you know, I think those play hand in hand into everyone needs a college degree. Yeah. Everyone. Well, and go ahead, Ken. I was going to say, one thing we haven't touched on either is the, is the fact that universities take advantage of the student loan program by itself when there's absolutely no cap for the student loans where pretty much is University can count on the students going for student loans. It's guaranteed money for the university, so they can pretty much increase their prices without any control. And that's why we've seen seeing these tuition prices skyrocket because there's no limit or cap as far as like how many students can qualify for student loans. Like literally anybody could qualify for student loans. Now I'm, there's some like nuances, of course, like Pell Grants. I think Pell Grants is like more for lower income, which is actually part of like Biden's. Uh, executive orders, I think it was like $20,000 if you make $20,000 or something like that. Yep. Don't hold me to it. But yes, you're right. um, for, for, for the most part, though, like, for the most part, anyone can sign up for student loans. And if if I am the president of the university and I knew that was a thing, it's economic. it makes economical sense to go ahead and raise my tuition prices. Is it ethical? That's a different story. Right. But practically speaking, <laughs> why not? So... And, and you've pinpointed one of the largest problems. Go back to the 90s when the government started guaranteeing the loans. And we need to distinguish between what is a government or a federal guaranteed loan versus like a federal loan that, that they own. Because when the government guarantees a loan, it means that they're basically saying if the student doesn't pay this back, we'll pay for it. Um, and Biden is not saying the federal government loaned you these monies and so we're going to just forgive them and so it just disappears. They're, they're still heavily involved, but these are the backed loans, meaning that they have allowed this tuition to go out through loans and the only way they can be paid back is through taxpayer dollars. They don't just disappear. The government doesn't just eat that. They pay for it through the taxes of the people and they'll have to raise that or cut funding to other programs. There's really not a third option there. And I, I want to touch and, and I want us to talk a little bit about like why now? Like aside from midterms, like obviously, you know, you you 
you should blame, but you can't blame a political party on either side with midterms when they pull something like this. But the way that is being passed is Biden is saying that we need COVID relief. And so he's extended the amount of time that we had where loans were in deferment, interest rates were in deferment. So he's extended that, plus he's forgiving. Uh, so he's saying that, you know, COVID is the reason people can't make this, that we should extend this. And that's it seems like that's kind of his his attempted legal avenue. But like, why why are we doing this now? Like, what what brought up that need? And, and I don't, uh, to me, I, it's just political. But if someone else has a different reason, I, I'd love to hear it. So, and I see in our notes, we've talked a little bit about the idea of the current, the loans are paused right now. So it's not like we're going to see extra money enter the economy that was currently going to the loans. However, it might also act as at least a small preventative measure from a larger freeze as we come out of the end of the pandemic measures and different government actions. Because we're going through a period of you know, dramatically increased inflation, and that is already driving down consumer spending and, you know, and pulling down the rate of inflation and economic growth in the first place. So in part, when the student loan payments come back for a lot of Americans, that will be then for a significant portion of the country you know, two to 400 or more dollars per month that just vaporize. And so it will be a pretty dramatic seize on the economy when the student loan payments come back in force. So in some sense, it could be softening that blow to try to keep the current liquidity in the market that is already there and not allow it to seize up into loan payments. Because um, I do think that's actually, you know, to me, like loan payments are obviously here, but they're one of, in my opinion, the greatest economic waste because it's money that's doing nothing other than creating paperwork and more money. But it doesn't actually do anything for the, like, like no one's life is better at the end of the day because there's more loans in the world. Maybe some bankers, but I don't care about them. Well, right I mean, now. if you take out the loan, in theory, your life is better because you can uh, quote unquote, yeah. afford to go to college. But other than that, I, I agree with that. Um, um, so... I think that liquidity, keeping it in the market, ha- has some benefits when the economy is already really unstable. To not just have, you know, it's better for that the student loan payments to go to businesses than it is to go and paying Sally Mae. Like we see more economic use of those dollar bills. Perhaps, but the issue that I have with that is we're raising taxes across the board to pay for this. Like they've they've basically made the projection. And until everyone cashes in on this, we won't know the full numbers, but they've, they've projected that if every person who is eligible or even the majority take advantage, it will be upwards of $400 billion, um, that will be needed to just do this 10000 in forgiveness. And it's averaged out that people will be having an increase of $2,000 in taxes. So that means across the board in inflation time when my dollar doesn't buy anything at the grocery store hardly anymore. I lose another two thousand out of my paycheck, and even if I happen to get the ten thousand wiped out, it still only becomes eight thousand, and that was still in deferment, and that two thousand is due now. So I, I'm failing to see how that actually benefits but the economy. The two thousand—it's like no, it's not like you have to sit down and write a government a two thousand dollar check. So I think the the phrasing well, of the two thousand dollars due now misrepresents it because we don't know how the government's going to pay for it. If I'm correctly, <sighs> they could do a we don't know how the tax system is going to work like they could the government could practically take on a loan itself instantly pay off to these companies and then pay its own interest to the fed it could find other ways of just going into debt to mythical organizations like the government always does like it eventually has to be paid off but this is also the united states federal government we're talking about it kind of doesn't like we'll just throw it on the debt clock what's it matter anymore no one cares well uh, it's made up fake money let me let me do a hypothetical and i and i can't you know say this is definitely going to be the case but 
philosophically, Occam's razor says that in the absence of certainty, the proposal that makes the least amount of assumptions is probably going to be correct. And the fact that Democrats just passed along party lines a budget reconciliation gimmick that opens up $400 billion and that happens to match $400 billion, I highly doubt that their alternative here will be to just absorb that. I think they're going to raise the taxes. And, and I don't think saying 2000 misrepresents it's already paid for but it's not because it hasn't been taxed what happens with the government is they say we'll do this and then they tax you and saying two thousand dollars is what we'll pay at the end of the year doesn't misrepresent it because when people do a monthly payment like oh the government's just taking out you know two hundred dollars out of my paycheck to pay for this you you don't feel the same weight as when they pull out two thousand but you're still paying two thousand at the end of the year my math is off don't judge me on that but like the lump sum is still what you're losing. If you make fifty thousand, you'll lose two thousand to pay for someone who is better educated, more successful, is making up to two hundred and fifty in their household, and you're paying for that so that they can get this two th- ten thousand waived. Well, I'd rather that be. I'd rather our money go towards the American people than sending billions of dollars to Ukraine or bailing out Wall Street personally. So I'd agree with that, but it doesn't have to be <laughs> yeah. an either or. I mean, the amount of times we do corporate debt forgiveness, it's about time the American citizens got to partake in all the corporate debt write-off. Like, I, if Amazon gets to write off hundreds of billions of dollars of debt, why can't the American consumers? Like, come on, corporations so, get to play by entirely different debt rules. Than the American people do. I wonder and if we can com- bail out Wall Street and those big corporations. Why can't we bail out the American people yeah. to give them some financial relief? Well, hold on. One point two <laughs> trillion dollars in bailout money that American citizens solve twelve hundred of. This, like- <laughs> but th- that creates a false dichotomy because I personally don't think that we should do either. Now, if we do a one-to-one comparison with Josh said where they get to do a write-off, and the government said if you owe a shit ton of money in loans and you get a tax write-off, and that's a direct comparison to what the corporations do where there's a loss, I'd be in favor of that. What I'm not in favor of is the generation of money, which is a direct tax, instead of the government choosing to eat the cost. I would be in favor if it was a true comparison, but that's not a true comparison in the present system. I will say this is where I kind of agree with you. Like, I probably wouldn't have my biggest issue with Biden's approach to the situation is there's no actual trade offs. So it's one thing where if you actually propose like student loan forgiveness, like there's some trade offs, like, all right, so in order to offset the cost from paying for these student loans, we're going to go ahead and phase out. So we're going to reallocate some of the money that we've been spending on other programs. Maybe take some of the money we sent to, from Ukraine over to student loans towards the American people. I probably wouldn't have, I would have less issue with it. But that's like my personal pet peeve about Biden's approach to the situation. I personally don't have an issue with the idea of student loan forgiveness. It's just as, as long as we have some like trade-offs that go along with that. One of the issues, and, and this is why um, I think that I would agree with Ken if the government didn't send $400 billion to Ukraine, which was truly mostly pet projects, and that instead went directly to pay off loans and that was going to be gone anyway, I'd be like, eh, okay, not my favorite, but I would be less concerned. Um, the, the other issue I have is that they're really just, they haven't fixed the system before they're doing this. And we touched on this earlier, uh, but the government getting involved and in backing those federal loans, there's a direct connection between that happening and then skyrocketing prices for tuition for colleges. They didn't cap that. So all that's going to be seen to these colleges, mark my words, guarantee this, take this to the bank. Tuition is going to skyrocket as soon as this happens because they know If we just apply enough pressure to these students and we get the right people in Congress who are going to go along with this, then they'll buy it out. 
And we're going to continue to see what was $30,000 for tuition is now going to be $50,000. What was $50,000 is going to be $75,000 they're going, because there is no ceiling. Now, if, if Joe Biden had said we're going to cap what universities can do and scale it back or they found some other way to make this reasonable, then this would again be a situation that I wouldn't be thrilled about, but I would be more okay with. The way that it's being done right now, I, I just see too many issues. But to an extent, though, as well, there's less students or less uh, people going to college than ever before. Like less, I think there's like over like less than a million people that chose not to go to universities this year, this semester. Fewer so people in comparison to, to when, though. I don't so know. Past, I, there's been an enrollment slowdown since the pandemic started across the board. Right. Yeah, and so that can offset the cost as far as like keep as a check of balance from the universities from skyrocketing their prices to avoid a scenario like you just mentioned. But if we don't cap it, history would demonstrate that that won't, they won't cap it. They'll, they'll, they won't do it themselves. I would also say this is why it comes down to a lot of uh, institution selection. Like, cause I've gone, you know, I've thought about um, debt forgiveness a lot and I've, I've been more in favor of plans that would forgive debt of students who went to public institutions and went to mm -hmm. private institutions. Because again, not to be a, overly mean, but to be kind of mean, if you're in a significant amount of debt to you because you went to a private uh, institution, that's your own fault. You could have gone to a state school. That was a fourth of the price. I did. I went to, I've never gone to a private college. I do not teach at a private college. And on a principle, I will not apply for jobs at private <laughs> colleges because I think it's wrong to make money off of charging mm -hmm. students that much in tuition. And uh. yeah, like <laughs> it, to, to, when you can offer something that's just far better usually as an experience anyways. And, but I think on top of that, even when we're looking at our state schools, they usually have to justify their increases, but cause on top of universities increasing their funds, knowing they have extra money to spend in inflating administration and installing a bureaucrats, bureaucrats assistant, and then getting an assistant for that assistant and then paying them all six figures while paying <laughs> professors no more than 50,000. Um, like, Universities have definitely done that, but at the same time, there's been a semi-alarming cut of state funding for uh, universities, where the state governments have been offloading the cost of their state of their universities to the federal government because of this loan process as well. Because since I think like 2008 ish, there's been a more than 10 billion dollar decline in funding that the mm -hmm. state governments have given their universities in in, in here, and obviously to make up that money and not have to lay people off or shut down departments or cancel majors, universities have to raise prices and they know they can get away with that. And the state governments know they can get away with it to spend money on other projects they want to because the federal government will at the end of the day pay to have a more educated population, um, then let the university system, you know, fall behind. Educated. Um, so <laughs> the, um, the state governments, you know, are kind of in, in with the universities here is of realizing we can offload our costs to the federal government, uh, not have to pay for it too much ourselves with the system in place. Um, and, and that's a little bit of a shame, in my opinion, because the state government should take care of their state universities if they're going to advertise them all so much and act like they actually care when they don't. Um, and I think it's, and it shares that same cause of they know they can get out of the responsibility of having to do it themselves. Um, so yeah, go to state schools. Don't pay. Don't pay ridiculous tuition prices. <laughs> no, I go, no, I don't even go to state schools. Go to community colleges. Every there's actually uh, uh, very few private community colleges. Um, depending on the state, there's going to be zero private community colleges because those are all state schools. No, not like private versus public. But when I say that, I mean like the big four-year universities. 
Don't yeah. go to any. Of, don't go to any of them. Yeah, I got my all, first degree. All, yeah, college. My, my first degree was an was associate's degree from Walter State Community College yeah. in speech communication. And then hey, I there we go. To Tennessee State. Yeah. yeah, that's the the reason I graduated with so little debt is because I started at a community college. You definitely should. Do not yeah. go to a four year institution all four years. It is not worth it. It does. It is not worth it. Well, and and this this to me is the issue and why I think that this becomes a moral issue and why I disagree with this is because people up to this point made their own decisions that put them in this situation. If we can back it all the way up to find a point of personal responsibility, even if your response is, but Ryan, they were expected to go to college and they couldn't afford it, I would say, well, then we go so far back to the point that we say, number one, society pressured them in a way that I don't think they should have been pressured. Number two, they were taken advantage of. I acknowledge that. But they still chose to do that instead of a trade school. Or they chose to go to the four-year anyway instead of like the two-year like Josh did. And I think that there's a lot of um, personal responsibility pieces here that were, were lacking. Tony, you're shaking. What, 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 go ahead. I, I can't agree with that for one okay, reason. And the, one re- <laughs> the one reason that I'd say I, I can't agree with it, like I, you do have a point, right? I'm not going to say you're, like, it's completely wrong. But the reason I, I, I can see the point but I don't agree with it is because I'm sure you've heard of the term like indoctrination before, right? Well, of course, yeah. Um, it, it, it's almost as though like the youth nowadays, like, like, I don't want to, it's not like pure indoctrination, not like uh, as far as like North Korea propaganda type style. Right. But like, I I don't, I'm not going to compare it, like say it's that bad, but I'll say like when you're 18, like, yes, you're a legal adult. Right. But the brain doesn't stop, doesn't stop fully forming until around 25. True. Okay. So with that being said, it's hard to say, it's just like, oh yeah, you, you should have just chosen better. Right. Because... You, you know, you were kind of brought up thinking, oh, yeah, this is the way to do it. This is the correct way. So I, I think that if if that wasn't if that message wasn't pushed as hard as it was, I would completely agree with you. OK, but it does feel like it's pushed way more heavily that, oh, yeah, you need to do this to be successful. If, if you know what I mean by that. And to add to Tony's points, it kind of, I'm kind of worried about that mindset as far as like, the role of a go- is it the role of the government to play favorites based on the kind of degree they pursued or the major they pursued? I think that gets into a slippery slope because at that point, what determines what's a worthy degree is based on who's in power at that point. And so I think if you want to have any sort of student loan forgiveness, there has to be a universal blanket standard to where the government is not playing favorites and we avoid a situation where uh, we have like a flip-flop of what's what constitutes as a worthy degree at that point. Yep. No, I, I agree with that. You know me, minimal government intervention. So my, my solution is back all the way up. The only place that I can lay this down at then is the feet of individual choice. And I know that does become a little bit unfair, but you're going to be putting an unfair situation one way or the other because then you have to explain to me how it's fair to expect that people who weren't and Tony your point is is well taken but there were still people who resisted that Uh, either they had people who could pay for it they found a way to pay for it themselves or they prioritized paying off their loans quickly so that they had minimal interest and they didn't do just the minimum payment because when you do the minimum payment that's what leads to at least one of the reasons it skyrockets so there is no fair quote unquote fair situation that we can have here And so while I agree with you that there is a systemic problem, and the big issue I have here is that they aren't fixing that before doing this forgiveness, but now what they're doing is they're saying, yeah, sorry, you're a sucker. If you uh, paid off your loans early or if you or your parents happened to save um, or or set aside money in some way that went towards your college education, now you're paying two, three times because you're paying for everyone else. So I, I don't see how the idea 
that the Biden administration has been pushing of fairness really has any traction because it's 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 only fair to the group that they want it to. And uh, ironically, that's the voter base. I mean, it doesn't have to always be fair per se to be an optimal policy outcome because I'll still maintain my point. The more money we can get away out of of our economy that has been contained in the debt payment and repayment, you know, circulation instead of manufacturing, decent jobs, other mm-hmm. office things that are worthwhile to have around and, you know, you know, sales and business that can generate imports and exports and are worthwhile having and not, you know, clerk work at Sally May. Um, because in some extent, we're always going to be paying taxes for a lot of programs that we're not necessarily um, going to be using and may not ever use throughout a life. Like you could say it's unfair that someone had to pay Social Security when they got, you know, an aggressive cancer in their 30s and then died when they were 35. Sure, it was unfair. But guess what? You got to pay your Social Security taxes. Um, life isn't fair. Um, all just rolls the dice sometimes. And we still just need to make policies that and decisions that are more optimal in the given time frame. Too. But, but who, who decides? I will, I will say I didn't really hear any conservatives talk about fairness when billions of dollars are going to Ukraine in the beginning. That's all I'm going to say about that. That's fair. But, but to go back to Josh's point, what I want to know <laughs> is like, <laughs> no, I don't disagree. Uh, but like, I don't think that like a bad decision before is the reason for a bad decision now. And that's the line I'm trying to hold here. So like to go back to Josh's point, I, I just it, it seems convenient to say life isn't fair. That's the way the dice is rolled. We got to do what's best when the group of people who holds these debts is actually the minority of people because the majority of people didn't go into this debt or didn't go to college at all. So it's just a justification to do what you want to do. And the fairness is determined by you because you agree with this and Biden because he agrees with this. Like, I, I don't understand. I think I, I think fairness should be judged off of how many people it like you want to be fair like you life like life is unfair things will be unfair there's nothing you can do about that True. right Facts. i think that in order to judge how fair it is how good it is it should be based off of how many people does it benefit right mm-hmm. like if uh you know most people in america didn't go to college right so most people in america didn't go to college so let making them uh like getting rid of their loans would essentially be then uh, have a negative outcome on everyone because everyone has to pay taxes towards them like their loans being uh, levied right so i would say that that is unfair it's fair to the people who can't pay their loan it's fair to them but it's unfair to everyone else the people who paid off their loans the people who never went to college so they don't have college loans right it's unfair to everyone else which is a larger group of people it, it i would the thing i would push it would be to delink the idea of good and fair being one and the same. Like it is an unfair policy that benefits more Americans than others. So does Social Security. So does Medicaid. So does the Veterans Administration. So does the highway. Uh, so does the interstate system. Certain corporations benefit more from the interstate system than other corporations. That does not make the interstate bad because it unfairly benefits one thing more than another. Uh, it just is, and we just need to make decisions to solve problems. Now, what we need to be careful with there, though, is the antithesis of that. Like, you're saying that, you know, we just kind of have to go with what benefits. But the problem is you're you're trying to, to claim net benefit here or like a utilitarianist 
esque argument that like yep. it benefits the most people. But here's the deal: if if we were all physically present, I dropped my wallet with a thousand dollars, and you three stole it from me, and collectively voted to not give it back. More people are benefited by my money. That doesn't make it good. It doesn't make it moral. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean that there's anything other than you decided what to do because you had the power. And that's, that's what's what happening here. Right. But I'm saying first that, off, no, that first <laughs> off, that's your own fault. You should never carry a wallet with a thousand dollars cash. You you clearly <laughs> wanted it to get stolen. Okay? All right, that's okay. all I'm going to say for that one. Are you blaming Politics the victim, guys Tony? With guns. Politics is guys with guns taking your money and deciding what to do with it. Um, I don't see any other okay, so like vision of politics that is different from this. That. You can either like what the guys <laughs> with guns do or you cannot. Maybe they'll shoot you. Maybe they won't. It's government. Why? Like, yeah, this is do- <laughs> this is not true of all people on the right. But for myself, I don't think that any politician should be holding this gun. They shouldn't be holding the power. I'm in favor of smaller government that can't do this, period. But the difference right now between that and at least the left and a good chunk of the Democrats right now is that so long as they get to hold the power, they're fine with it. And then they bitch and moan later when when they don't get to use it. I am all about trying to construct a government that doesn't get to do this to the people. That is my stance, and that's the line I'm trying to hold here. But I, I don't think that just because you think that there's some utility to this thing that we can claim, you know, goodness, fairness, moralness, or, or any of that. Like, okay, it serves your purpose. It's about it. I mean, I just think it's in brawl economic terms. Debt spending is wasteful spending. It doesn't grow the economy. Um, if we can not spend money on debt, then we shouldn't. Okay, well, the, I mean, let's apply that to the individual level. I mean, you took on debt to get into this. I feel like that's, that's kind of where we've gone. But anything else... On this, and, and I'm not shutting down the conversation, I just want to like change the lens a little bit and talk about the constitutionality because this has been brought, brought up. Um, Nancy Pelosi, not even just me, Nancy Pelosi said the president does not hold the power to just waive debt, especially when it's backed loans, not ones that the government owns. To me, Biden's approach, whether it be through the eviction moratorium or this, it seems to be, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to, and by the time it goes through the courts, eh. I got what I wanted. So that that concerns me, and I'm concerned about where executive powers will take these types of things in the future. I mean, what do we what do we think? You can you can talk about projection, you can talk about whether or not it's constitutional. I, I say it's not. Bothers One me. One thing I think is kind of interesting is um, yes, I watch Matt Walsh. Okay, hate me if you want. It's fine. Uh, one thing I think is kind of interesting about that is I heard Matt Walsh talking one time about uh, the problem with people on the right is whenever they get into positions of power, they don't do anything with that power, right? They, they just kind of, they, it just seems like they're, they're lackluster with it. Like they're almost afraid to use it because, you know, uh, conservatives are supposed to be, you know, anti-government, anti, you know, like holding the power, all this and all that. So it, uh, it makes sense why they do what they do. But the problem is people on the left, the reason why the left has gone is able to do what they do is because they will use all of their power to every extent that they can. And they don't, it is just whatever. So like, it, it's interesting that you make that point uh, that Biden just, it seems like he can just do whatever he wants. Um, because at least in Matt Walsh's mind, he can, he quite literally can. Well, I was going to say, based on my own research, as Ryan and I have been going through the blueprint series and I've been doing my research and I'm one of the one of those are like the president's powers. That's one of the things that I noticed about the presidential powers outlined in the Constitution was it's very the language of it is very vague as far as what they can and can't do. Yes. So there's really no parameters as far as like, you know, can a president do this? Can't they not do this? Um, probably would be co- conversation as far as like having a constitutional amendment, probably as far as like 
the president can't do this as a, you know, it's like, you know, laterally forgive student loans. But um, as far as whether it's legal or not, I mean, as much as I hate to admit it, I don't think it's illegal until the Supreme Court states otherwise. And I think that's been an ongoing trend we've seen with the presidency as Congress has become, you know, ever so more deadlocked, you know, over, it's been over a decade now, you can really start it, you know, in probably 2006 as we started seeing Congress, especially the Senate, act less and less on legislation, got, you know, first couple of years of Obama's administration, the Democrats were able to pass it. But then once Mitch McConnell got the Senate back, you know, we saw pretty much Obama was deadlocked for six of the eight years he was president with fighting, you know, legislation through Congress. Trump got given pretty much the same when the Democrats could. And if the Republicans can take the House or the Senate, good luck on the Senate, um, then they'll probably do the same and deadlock Biden's agenda. And so, the president's power has been growing in modern legal terms. You know, as we saw, President Obama and his chief of staff really worked to develop the modern presidency, and that is management and a kind of presidential authority being done through executive order. And that's what a lot of executive orders do because they can't explicitly spend money as Congress holds the purse strings, but it's typically an action by the president. And Usually it runs to that balance of will the rest of the government go along with it? You know, the Supreme Court is being included in the government here because um, they're not outside of it. Um, and if the government all agrees that this is something the president can do, then um, the president can just do it. Uh, th that's the power of the executive. I mean, we have even a lot of conservative politicians, you know, as we saw with Trump, um, argue the president can't commit a crime and that holding the office of president literally means you're above the law. So, um, you know, he's really right in pointing out the idea that the, the powers assigned to the presidency are some of the vaguest and broadest in the Constitution other than Congress's power itself. Um, because the power just to instantaneously deploy armed forces across the world with consulting no one else but a single office is incredible. Not even um, just a single office, but a sing literal a literal single individual is insane. Well, yeah, the president is a single person, single office. Like that single office can ch change the face of the world. Um, He's essentially become an elective mon an elective king, basically. <laughs> and it, also, it not only just not only just like send like send out you know armed forces, but also arguably the most trained and the most badass armed forces. And I want to make a distinction um, on what Josh is getting at here is kind of an extension of Ken's point. The fact that the president or Congress is not called on something doesn't mean they can do it. It doesn't mean it's constitutional. Uh, it means that we don't have people in there who are willing to do their damn job. Like that, That's pretty much what it comes down to. Because President Obama choosing to ignore specific rules writ large that he was supposed to uphold uh, doesn't mean that that's okay or the president can do that. It means that he wasn't held to account. Uh, just because we have Congress not calling out Biden for way stepping outside. I mean, th this is literally the def. If you are saying that the president can't do something with the purse strings and he's effectively either having to raise taxes or just decree that something is the case, well, then he's stepping outside of at least that parameter that, that you said was there. And, and I need us to remember that the fact that they're doing that doesn't mean that we're changing the presidency. It doesn't mean that we're shifting. It means that we have a bunch of people who are willing to overlook the Constitution because it's it, it, it goes along with their purpose. And I think that's very important for the people to remember because it breeds this this complacency. Well, it's just kind of the way that it is. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't how many have to trillions be that way. of dollars have 
Bush, Cheney, and Obama and Trump spit in the Middle East without ever seeing a congressional declaration yeah. of anything. Just trillions of dollars spent by the military and the presidents just because the presidents wanted to continue their little wars. And we Congress, have... And, even, and Congress increased the military funding while all of that was happening. Like, because, and that's, if, any, if anything, I can give a, a, the, the history of the American government and the different offices and powers and the balance between them. It's that if the, if the rest of the government will go along with it, then it just happens. The Supreme Court's power to review the other two branches of, of government isn't in the Constitution. They made it up themselves and gave themselves that power. And everyone just went along with it. And now it's what the Supreme Court does. And what we consider the historical role and position of the Supreme Court was a power they invented for themselves that no one else but themselves gave them. And the rest of the government just went along with it. And now isn't it's that like, isn't that like all power that all governments have always though? Yeah, I mean, it was always the balance of like legitimation, but I, you could think of, and I think what imagine would be Ryan's permission is that c documents that control the government are supposed to give the permission to agencies and offices to conduct action rather than this blank check of here's the things you can't do. It's more of a, you know, you have a set items of things you're allowed to do in the first place and you can't do anything else. I think that's what a lot of people would like to think the government does versus the government making up new powers that it has can do and has authority over. Um, at least that's what would be my take of the conservative position on that. <laughs> I understand that my, my point is, is more idealistic and that that's with the reservation of power. Uh, that's with the technicality of the constitutional. Like I, I your, Josh, your point is well taken and why this is the case that it is. Um, I want us in the spirit of like not just laying down and taking things to kind of brainstorm alternatives to loan forgiveness. And I think that there are many that exist currently under the current status quo. And also that we could propose instead of this, that would be satisfying the criteria of fixing, quote unquote, fixing or at least improving the system without, you know, massive inflationary spirals and things like that. One of those is if, if you're not aware, you should be. Uh, there are many companies, corporations, et cetera, that, that will pay for your tuition uh, while you're an undergrad. FedEx is a great example of this. McDonald's is a great example of this. They give at least 5000 I think it's closer to 10000 now, uh, per semester, if I'm not mistaken, if you work for them. Uh, and they change that based off of half-time and full-time employees. What we need to understand then from the individual responsibility portion is, yeah, that sucks to have to do that during college, but it does give you an option if you're like, man, inflation sucks, loan payments suck, I'm willing to take the sucky situation now while I'm in college, that's an option. Uh, military, another example, uh, you you can be appointed as, uh, you're, you're not just going to be an infantryman, you're going to wind up being appointed, you're going to be commissioned as an officer, and they will pay for all of your schooling. And if you want to do this on the back burner, uh, Ken, you use the GI Bill, correct? So you can you can serve first, and then you're eligible to have your education paid for. Uh, Doctors Without Borders, Habitat for Humanity, the Peace Corps, these all waive, like, if not all of it, at least like $50,000 worth of debt. This is why when I say that, you know, it's, it's immoral to just pass this off, it's because options exist... And it really boils down to people don't want to take the personal responsibility. There are options available. I'm not saying that it's the best situation or that privilege doesn't change the situation, but they exist. Your, your only option is not loans. Find me someone who's actually entitled, Ryan. <laughs> Find me, I have yet to meet someone who's seeking financial relief and 
is entitled and not working two, three, four jobs, busting their asses off in order to pay off their loans. I don't I haven't met I feel like that's like a propaganda talking point by conservatives to like portray something that's not real. And don't and so I strongly push back on that thought. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Go ahead. I'm, I Here, mean, it's not. Here's, here's the deal, though. If you're making $150,000, $250,000, there's no reason for this. If yeah, we, that's why they put a cap on it. If we, if, but they didn't. What's the cap on the income cap? $250,000. For a joint income household. You realize that that's upper middle class easily, if not upper class. Yeah. Okay. If unless you live in California or New York City, and then it's barely upper middle class. But it's like a community it's, college it, professor barely gets paid one hundred and ten thousand dollars in out in California. Like, yeah, but if if well, you're that's, that's by Californian standards, that's like middle class. To be fair, California. Yeah, <laughs> okay, like, but these are not the where you are this country. Like it's you can you can make your loan payments with one hundred fifty two hundred fifty thousand dollars, no matter where you live. Yeah, probably, but. So then it, then it does boil down to choices. It boils down, and, and again, kind of pushing back on what Ken said on his pushback with the, the talking point. If, if you are, if you can't pay them back, I'm not saying that these people don't exist, because of course they do. What was their degree? I'd like to know. Like, what, what did they get to their degree in? What are they doing? Because those are all really heavy points in whether or not they can pay it back. We don't know. Therefore, we can't make the presumption they're just being lazy and they're entitled. And I didn't just say they were lazy. Demanding. Well, oh. that's just the no, that's just the typical conservative talking point that I've been hearing like the entire week since the well, right, that, came down with it. I've heard plenty of people say that. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there are ways you can pay back your loans, or that you can avoid taking out loans in the first place. So, if we're looking at status quo and help. If, if you are in a position right now, you can't pay back your loans, you can go sign up for the Peace Corps and they will waive $50,000. Well, well, not everyone Last can join I the checked. Peace Corps. Just like, not, just like not everyone can join the military. Believe it or not, it's actually pretty hard to join the military, even as enlisted. Like when you go through MEPS, they go out of your way to ensure to find reasons why you cannot join the military because they want the most effective fighting force. Who's ineligible so to join the Peace Corps? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying it may not be possible for everyone. And people with disabilities, I mean, you might not. Hasn't the army like lowered their like? Isn't the meme a whole meme about the army that anyone can get into the army? Isn't that like the whole meme? There's some truth to it. It's not entirely true. Uh, I mean, of course, like there there are people who like not even talking about like the people who can't let's say like physically pass boot camp, right? But you know, as in terms of like disabilities, people who like actually can't join the military, right? Anyone with depression can't join. Anyone who's ever been to um, uh, a mental health hospital can't join, right? People with uh, physical disabilities, mental dis like there there are plenty of people who can't join, sure. But when I say plenty of people, I don't mean like most people. I would say that the amount of people who cannot, literally cannot, and there's nothing that they can do, join any branch of the military, would I would make the argument that it would probably be about 10% of people who, like, 10% of all Americans are would not be able to join any branch of the military through no fault of their own, right? But the thing about it is, is most people can. Now, whether they would pass boot camp or not, that's, that's something... Even if you just what? took mental health and physical disability, physical disability, you would way exceed 10% of the American population. That would at least be a quarter of the population on those two categories alone. How? Uh, because I want, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to bet even one in four people have an active diagnosis for a mental health disorder in America right now. Um, so if he just went on that corner, I bet I could get a no. quarter of people there. Well, what do you mean by mental health disorder? Not only that, but... DSM-5 says. 
not only that, but people at MEPS, they turn around people for the stupidest reasons. Like I had a friend who had a scar that he got like when he was five years old and they denied him en- entry to the military because of a simple scar that happened when he was five years old and that he, they made him go get like medical documents and they still rejected him. So it's not as simple as, you know, uh, have it, having a good mental health state of mental health or being in good physical shape. They turn you around for the stupidest shit. Sorry. Okay. So I even, mean, yeah. even not you know, getting you know those boot camp people are there right in the day going, who's going to be annoying in camp. And then just trying to make sure they don't and finding some like silly reason to send them right anyways. Cause they're already being selective then there, even on like personality of, are you going to be a good fit for what we're doing? So not getting bogged down on the military portion. And I'm not saying that you can't find exceptions to people who have, no choice except for loans. And I'm not saying that those people are lazy. I'm not trying to attribute that to them. What I'm saying is you have 330 million people in the United States. You have less than, I think it's like 30%, whatever the amount of college educated people are. That sounds about right. Th- let's go with 30%. That is the group of people. And of that group of people, we'll shrink it again because a few of those have enough family wealth and they may financial choices early on to where they they didn't go into mass amounts of debt. Of that group of people, they might not be able to go in the military. They might not even want to. And that's fine if you don't want to go into the military. What I'm saying is that you could choose to work part-time or full-time at FedEx, McDonald's, or any of the other places that offer tuition. And if you're sitting here right now and saying, well, it's too late for that, I'm saying that there are numerous options for loan forgiveness where you'll not only be paid, you also basically work and the federal government pays for your loans without just raising taxes. And I'm not saying that if you don't want to do that, that you're lazy. I'm saying that that's just a personal choice. And what it comes down to then, in my opinion, is you've then decided I would rather, uh, if you decide I would rather have the the loans and make the minimum payments, then go go do those things. That's fine. But then it's not fair to sit here and say that you need to transfer your loan to other people through taxes. Doesn't have anything to do with fairness. I'm not saying it has anything to do with fairness. But you said it, that your whole point ending inclusion was it's not fair that. And it had, but that's not the point. It has nothing to do with fairness. Sure, that's, been the, that's been the talking point of the agenda. What, what is the, the purpose then? Well, I'm sure they have their talking points to sell it to the public of whatever campaign they're going on. But at the end of the day, this is an economic well, decision. Well, not only that, but I feel like your argument, Ryan, is a straw man's argument. And at the end of the day, like not everyone can, your, your, uh, your proposal essentially is like in a perfect world scenario where, yeah, sure, they can go join the military. Sure, they can, maybe they can go to afford to get a job at FedEx. But what if like someone is like a single parent, for example, and they can't afford to do that or they need, they qualify for a they qualify for a Pell Grant. Anybody that, I'm not, yep. that doesn't fit into that description and they're that impoverished or they have exceptions by which they have kids, et cetera. But, you're, but that would be under the assumption though they would actually, be, they would actually get that Pell Grant. They, they, we had excess Pell Grants because not enough people applied. The, like the Pell Grant is, but, goes towards housing and other things and it's a grant. It's not a loan. Pell Grants means that it was money that they aren't expected to pay back. It's like a scholarship. So anybody yeah, that, scholarship. You're, that you're talking about that falls into that as the exception, they're already covered. And those are I the people that are like, getting double. So they've had things like, covered and they're getting 20,000 instead of 10. I think the Pell Grant implies like sub 57,000 household income students. But to go back to, uh, here's why my argument is not a straw man and why it doesn't matter. It's fine that I say that it's, it's, not, um, it's, it, it's not fair. One, I do that to push back against what they're saying um, as far as this, this is a fairness thing. But to Josh, if you want to go the economic route, 
raising taxes when we're in an inflationary spiral, spiral that's, that there's not enough demonstrated economic good or even theoretical good that's going to come from that for that to be uh, put a on good the national justification. Debt, never pay it. Don't have to raise taxes. Don't have to raise taxes. <laughs> okay, so if the federal government can do that, then why can't people just perpetually make the minimum payment forever and ever? Like it, you're you're still damaging the economic ecosystem, whether it, on the, it be on the individual or the federal level. Is it is money more? Does the GDP go up more when people buy a tire, buy a pay rent, uh, buy groceries, or does the GDP go up more when someone pays debt to Sally Mae? What drives the economy more? Buying actual merchandise, we're, and buying. But goods. we're not we're not measuring the individual situation by just the GDP here. We're looking at well, when when what, when Joe. But I'm saying I, it's an economic argument. That's but, what I'm saying. Money spent on student loans stimulates the economy less than money spent on material and merchandise. So insofar, we make tens of millions of Americans pay money to student loans. Instead of them spending it frivolously on the economy, we are losing potential GDP. And it's a bad economic decision to take that path. Though. I, th th that's, not how, that's not how that works, though. You can't just say that by forcing people to spend money on frivolous products... Um, Spending four hundred oh, billion America. dollars on to, Ukraine to force them to do it to spend frivolous products. They'll spend it happily. But if you're well, they've already incentivized that people spend their money instead of save it by the by nature of the inflationary spiral that we're in right now. You yeah. you you can't you can't claim economically that there is a benefit to tax people and move the money around because that's what GDP is tracking is where does the money move? It doesn't mean that individuals are in a better spot. Trump lower nope. taxes and on a per capita, per individual basis, by, by minority breakdown, everyone's situation was better. Less taxes. You cannot tell me that by forcing people to Just spend their money through taxes, it gets a better economic system. You can tell me that there's has, a higher GDP. Have, have the Democrats or, or has the Democrats or Biden proposed a tax plan to pay for this? Or have they said, like, whatever? Like, do we even know there's going to be taxes for this? The government doesn't always raise taxes when they do spending bills. There's a reason we're $28 trillion in debt, or however much it's up to now. Okay. Like, because <laughs> they spent money and didn't raise taxes. You can do that all the time. That's purely American. Ronald Reagan. They, he's the classic <laughs> inventor of it. America. They've they've said they will they that the, if they've projected. Here's where I'm going, and and that's that's fine. I'll give that to you. They might not, but the fact that they've been coming out and saying it's only going to cost each person two thousand dollars in taxes leads me to believe they intend to raise taxes. That's that's what I would say, and if someone's going to pay it. If it's not me and you, it's going to be our children, and we're still going to suffer uh, in the system regardless. Like doing this will incentivize the schools to raise tuition rates, which means when our kids and the next generation goes to college, they pay more, which means the system still isn't capped. Uh, okay, here's what I would propose then. We'll, we'll move on because I think we're just going to agree to disagree. <laughs> uh, here's what I would say for loans. Another option to fix the system. Pay what you owe in the principal. If you took out $100,000 in loans, you pay the 100,000 back and as a temporary stay on the system, as opposed to raising my taxes for your choice, I would be fine if we set it up temporarily for now. I don't know what we'll do long term. But you're only paying back the principal. And if the government wants to guarantee the interest rates or whatever they want to do to fix that, then I think that that is a better system with fewer consequences to the majority for going economically utilitarianism here. I think that that, that reaches both of our goals, Josh, would you agree with that? Oh yeah. Just uh, forgiving all interest and then just only requiring people to pay back the principal um, would definitely be 
Like, if the federal government shouldn't be charging citizens interest for loans, okay. that's ridiculous. So we, we can start there with an agreement. And I would even go so far as to say, let's say you took out 100000 you already paid back 150 you get a $50,000 tax credit. Like, that that's just money that you get to go towards your tax write-offs. And then, uh, and, and this is, uh, if, I don't know, I'd even be open to saying, you know what, if you didn't want to go to college... Uh, then everybody gets tax write-offs. Like, I'm all about lowering what the government gets in revenue because they spend it on garbage things that don't actually benefit us and they pretend like it does. And they coerce that money out of us through taxes because you're going to go to prison and have everything taken away from you if you don't pay what they say you owe. So I am, I'm fine with giving whoever we want to have tax write-offs, but specifically for loans. What do you think about that? Ken had a thumbs up. <laughs> I think we definitely also like, because um, I both, um, and Tony and Ken have both talked about the predatory aspect of it. Because I think that even undercuts, it doesn't matter what degree, because like even if you go and get an enge engineering degree, if you're paying a 10% interest on that, um, you could even be paying a significantly more than the minimum payment and still wind up 10, 15 years down the line in a similar amount of debt than you are now with a decent paying job. Um, so yeah, get, get ending the predatory interest system. Okay, yeah, so add that on. I, I'll even add that on. This doesn't have to be an either-or. We can add the end, end it, uh, throw on there, too. We need to cap the institutions. Or if you're not in favor, which I'm usually not, of the government intervening and capping it, then provide an incentive structure for them to cap it themselves. And here, here's what I would propose to that. I would say that the federal government gets completely out of education. They do not guarantee any of these loans. We go back to pre-'90s era. And then the colleges have to guarantee the loans which means that they have to guarantee what they're charging and they'll stop offering students degrees that won't get them anywhere in life or they'll at least educate them on those and it will make it so that they'll stop encouraging people to go to college when they don't need to. I think that like my three biggest gripes there get, get solved to that. What, what would you say to that? As long as there's a regulation that lets colleges know they can't charge interest unless they default on a payment, I'm down for that. We've talked about that before, Ken. Hit on that a little bit. Uh, so it's, you're, you had mentioned it's like the credit card, right? When you default, then your yeah, interest you, kicks in. Yeah, so it kind of gives people the incentive still to could make their payments and they don't get behind or take advantage of, this, of the loan program. Make it to where when they do pay, if they do miss a payment on the principal, like the minimum payment, that's when interest kicks in. And have some regulations, of course, as far as so, you know, the, they can't just charge you like 50% interest rate for make, missing one payment. But once they make that payment, um, just let them go back to paying the principal. And that's an incentive for people to continue paying without. And they can also save more money that way as well. Keep more money in their pocket and they can use that money, discretionary money, whatever they want to. Um, but, yeah, that's my thinking behind. No, I, and, and to, go ahead. No, I, was gonna say, I like that. Um, and, and I think just to kind of bolster my idea of the tax credit, if, if we want to make an economic argument, I think that reducing the amount people owe in taxes gives them physical money back in their pocket, that the government is not pulling from them, that they get to decide how they want to spend it. And they can put that towards their loans and pay more than the minimum payments if they want to. And uh, they can put it towards other things if they want to. If we're talking about an economic stimulus, that's I think that that's probably our best route. Yeah, I mean, things that prioritize putting more choice and ability in the hands of the consumers to make aware decisions and systems aren't going to trap them in small prints, unexpected consequences that aren't clear, and the overpromise of institutions and emissions counselors. Sure. Um, <laughs> so of course, universities <laughs> compete with one another too for tuition prices, which will inherently yeah. bring the prices down. 
which still works a little bit in our current system, but not to the extent as it does. Um, because usually it's just going to be the state schools are all going to cost roughly the same. And then the private schools just don't care about you. I don't like private schools. <laughs> I couldn't tell. <laughs> uh, Tony, your thoughts. <laughs> I, I think that the, like the schools compete for each other's for prices. I, I think that's, n- n- I mean, maybe like smaller schools. I get like, even like, like, uh, I went to Kennesaw state, right. And Kennesaw is like the second biggest state in Georgia. So, you know, but I would say like name wise, I would still call it a smaller school just for like the the name of such. Right. Whereas UGA is the third biggest for population in the state. But everyone knows UGA. Everyone knows the Bulldogs, the University of Georgia. Right. So in terms of like like smaller in terms of um, notoriety and like just their name being bigger, I would say maybe they compete amongst themselves. But honestly, the bigger schools, they don't care. They're not even private. Like UGA is a public school. They don't care. They can charge $30,000 a year. <laughs> Who going to stop them? People like, damn, I can't go to UGA because it's too expensive. Have you seen the type of people that go to UGA? Like they'll spend, they'll spend $45,000 a year. They don't care. I know people <laughs> going to UGA. Like most of their parents have money. They, they all come from money. So like it, 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 saying that like, oh yeah, the competition amongst other colleges keep the price down. I think that's, um, there's a synonym for it that I can't think of, but I'm going to call it, I think it's hopeful. I think it's hope, wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's definitely always going to be uh, the place where the bu- or bougie people send their uh, kids to pay for too much money. Flagship schools are definitely oftentimes that place. It's true. Okay. Uh, final comments before we go to announcements and then hot takes. All right. Then we'll be right back with our hot takes. Remember, you're listening to the Central Hub for Political Discourse. All right, Josh, why don't uh, you tell them about our memberships? They can join us before and after the show. Yeah, other than liking and subscribing and commenting on our videos and engaging us in the live, uh, our stream chats like Angela's done for this show today, um, the other way to support our channel is through membership programs, which will help um, us pay for some of the things that Ryan does for the channel. Let us really know that you support it, as long as as well as gain you access to our behind the scenes chats where we're either live before uh, live before the show or sometimes a little bit after the show, along with our member exclusive discord and ken you and i have a new series going (laughs) sure so in case y'all didn't know ryan and i have teamed up to do a series or edition that i started called blueprint and it's exactly how it sounds so you're conservative and you wonder what it means when conservatives talk about a smaller government well ryan and i actually try to give you guys a visual what that means so the last four weeks a month basically we've discussed congress we finally got through done congress but if you want to subscribe to uh, my channel as well taboo topic it's available as well we can and if my audience if you're watching right now on ryan's show by all means subscribe to his channel but ryan and i will do a live edition every friday night at 8 30 eastern time 7 30 central time and uh next week ryan and i will actually be talking about the judicial branch so if you want to learn uh, some things about the Founding Fathers' thoughts about the judicial branch, including some ideas that Ryan and I may have. Um, join. And frankly, believe it or not, even though Ryan and I have the same ideology, roughly, uh, even with two people, he and I go back and forth with the uh, different ideas and the nuances of the constitutionality and proposals and uh, gives us, and hopefully gives you as well, a better appreciation for the Founding Fathers' day when they had hundreds of people 
in the constitution for the constitution constitutional convention of 1787 so anything you want to add no complicated stuff i've i've learned a lot about how hard it is to not just complain about a government so <laughs> that's been great uh let's see tony where can they find you besides tiktok uh, I haven't posted on it yet. I'm still getting to do uh, one of my followers to help me with editing and whatnot. But uh, I also have a YouTube, uh, Call Me Capone VO, and I have a Twitter as well that I really don't like to use. I'm not gonna lie. Twitter is the epitome <laughs> of human intelligence at its absolute lowest. <laughs> Twitter is an absolute embarrassment to social media. I, like I, I can go on Twitter for five minutes and literally feel like I've lost about forty percent of my IQ. Uh, Twitter is the most infuriating thing, and I hate using it. But I do have a Twitter. Um, it's also uh, call me Capone VO. <laughs> um, and one thing I found interesting about Twitter, sorry, but let, let me just go off on this little thing real quick. Go ahead, is, <laughs> I, think, I think there are way too many bots on Twitter. I've never, I've never seen it before because I don't use Twitter. But when I got, I actually got permabanned on TikTok recently. I got it overdone, uh, overturned. Uh, I was a victim of a mass reporting, unfortunately. Damn. But. I got overturned and I, I was tweeting at them. I was DMing them. I was emailing them. I was submitting appeal in the app, everything I could possibly do. And every single time I tweeted at TikTok support that I got banned, I would within a couple minutes have an account like it and then say, oh, that sucks. It happens to me too. Follow a uh, uh, message this account on Instagram and they'll get your account on ban. And every <laughs> single tweet I had at least one person replying to my tweet saying that. Mm. And they look like real accounts. They look like real people. They spoke like real people. Yeah. It's insane. Like, honestly. Yeah. But yeah, so YouTube, Twitter, TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. Our, uh, there, whenever I like, I think it depends on the hashtags too. Like, if I use like hashtag live stream on one of our announcements, there are bots that are like geared towards live streaming that will just automatically retweet it and I was like there's no way some real person saw that that quick unless they've got some kind of code maybe that's the thing I'm unaware of but I was like that's just suspicious so yeah Twitter hey it's free engagement it, it is no I, I think I think it's literally just uh, <laughs> I, I think it's just trigger words that the bots just attack yeah because if it, it for at TikTok support and banned boom mm -hmm. that's it that's it well it, yeah. all you got all you need is the at of, a, of an account of an official account mm -hmm. and put in one to three trigger words and then boom it just has a fucking response ready to go for you it, it, it doesn't like yeah. i don't know anything about coding i don't yeah. but i imagine that it can't be that hard to code you yeah. just give it general responses oh my god i'm so i'm that sucks i'm so sorry that same thing happened to me or oh wow that's tough you know i had a friend that happened to him oh he messaged this dude on whatever whatever you you can literally give out 10 generic responses yep. give it one to three trigger words and every single and it can't be that hard for them to find it, yep. right? How like even how, how many tweets have at TikTok support with banned in it? Probably a lot. And you know, I can just look that up. I can go find it out myself. So bots can definitely do it way more efficiently than I can. That's true. Uh, remember, you can follow at Between the Liars on Instagram, Twitter, and it's at Kenjin underscore Express for his stuff. Ken also has a Substack newsletter that comes out once a week. Once a week, I actually made a post about it. Woo! So yeah, if you follow me on Instagram, there's an actual latest post actually has a schedule for everything. So perfect. All right, check all of them out, and uh, we are gonna go to hot takes. What we'll do, we'll probably go uh, Josh, me, Ken, and then Tony will, will wrap us up. All right, Josh, the spiciest of takes, my friend. Abolish private schools. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right there. <laughs> um, 
So, so no, we shouldn't do that. There's obviously not <laughs> schools out there who have rich histories and stuff. Um, but don't go to them. Um, if you're considering and looking at colleges, you if you got a private school that's offering you a full ride and then more money on top of that, then, you know, you, sure, that sounds like a good deal. Or if you can get it down where you're only paying a couple thousand dollars or otherwise. Um, but if you can earn that much scholar, that many scholarships at a private school, you can go to a public school, earn that much in scholarships, and then pocket the money that exceeds your tuition because they just <laughs> let you keep it. And then you don't got to work because you got excess money in terms of the great scholarships you're able to get. So, and, and on that same note, don't go to flagship schools. Um, don't go to a four-year university if you don't know exactly what you want to do. Still probably don't go out of the beginning of the gate anyways, because only 26% of you all are going to use the degree you get um, in your job afterwards, because that is the national average. You, only 26% of people work in the industry that their college degree is there for. So that means even if you go into engineering and you go into six figures of debt to engineering job because you think you're going to get an engineering position, you have that same 26% chance as the liberal arts major does. So don't just be betting on your major when you're making financial decisions about college. Um, don't pay too much intuition. Pirate your textbooks. Um, uh, use Sci-Hub and LibGen and libraries. Uh, I've been telling LFC. people for so many years to pirate um, their textbooks. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what else? Um, find a way to print free on campus. Don't pay for them out of that either. And no one will notice the stapler in the department office missing either. All right, uh, my hot take. Uh, I'll say one of my biggest issues I have with the way this is currently being done. You heard a lot of them. Uh, I'll say my biggest. It's that we're pouring water in an empty bucket. If we're not going to fix the system, uh, Biden has no grounds to claim that he's going to hold schools accountable. He's literally, mark my words, incentivizing them to raise tuition. Your tuition, if it doesn't go up next semester, next year, it's going to go up in the near future. And you can directly, it's not going to be the only cause, but it's a massive cause. We saw it in the 90s before the government backed the loans. Rates were much more reasonable. You incentivize a lot of negative things. And it, it really bothers me that we're being, in my opinion, short-sighted here. Uh, I, I also just, I don't like that uh, schools are allowed to push and society is allowed to push uh, bad majors. And then that's like incentivized with, you know, just the system at large. Like you, you can't pick a major that has, if you want to do that, fine. I, I'm not hating on that. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I'm saying that. If, if you're looking at the market demand, there are only so many gender studies or anything like Egyptology, like where your, your only hope to really get at least a decent salary is to go all the way up through the PhD and be a tenured professor. There's only so many positions they can hold there and not everybody wants to go all and the way through. And it's not that good anyways. And it's not that good. No, and, and you're signing up for lots of depression. So I, I find it troubling on a societal level. I find it troubling on, uh, you know, at, at the, the loans and like where people are being taken advantage of. Uh, Tony's point earlier, your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed till 25, 20, I think it's 26 or 27 in males. Uh, that's a problem. And, and I can acknowledge that, but I, I still think that this this is not the solution i would say stop half-assing the like quasi-socialistic models because everybody's pointing now to like well denmark does this like you know the the countries over in europe it's like well denmark does a lot of things uh that that this is not a one-to-one -one comparison for example uh their population is homogenous they're all very similar they're also very small uh which means that they have a lot more control you're also in these countries that make education free they don't let you do gender studies egyptology as a major so if you want college education to be paid for by the government 
I would say it's only a matter of time until the government starts intervening on that level, or we just wind up paying for worthless degrees. That's like, hey, that was a great time, but it doesn't actually help me. I think we should just better limit society. the kinds of degrees there are. <laughs> uh, Tony coming in early with his with his hot takes. I, I just no. Nah, I, 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 every time I hear this conversation, I just think gender studies, and I just get angry. <laughs> It's I, I had I had friends who did gender studies. Nothing wrong with it. That's what they want to do. But I think that your your market demand outside of a college professor is incredibly limited. Um, and and then I just it's it's not a good economic model to pass this off to other people. If you decided not to go to college, if you decide to pay off your loans early, then you're 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 now the fool uh, because you're paying for people who chose not to. Uh, if you're making two hundred fifty thousand in your family uh, household, or one hundred forty thousand as an individual. Um, I'm not saying you you can pay as uh, down to the minimum amount and that's fine, but the individual responsibility there that you have to understand is that's going to rise and that's fine. If I choose to live very poorly and pay off my loans early, that's my choice. You shouldn't be able to pass that off to me because you chose a different path. All right. So this is clearly not a black and white issue and both liberals and conservatives are trying to make this as such. But my bigger, my bigger gripe is with conservatives because I am one. So, um, yeah, so if you are conservative and you supported sending billions of dollars to Ukraine in the beginning when that whole thing kicked off but are mad about this, your outrage may be manufactured. Uh, second point conservatives, we cannot say as conservatives to not trust the government and say college is a scam but demand people to continue paying into that system just because they signed on to it, it's inconsistent. And instead of saying, you know, you signed up for it, as Ryan tried to allude earlier, we have to come up with alternatives because the left, the problems the left keep bringing up are very real. They're, there's a reason why they keep bringing it up. Otherwise, there would not be a reason why we'd be having these discussions. Um, and fi again, find me a person who's seeking financial relief from student loans that actually fits the description of entitlement. Buy me one. And again, the fact that people can pay the principal, and they, they can pay the loan and surpass the principal amount because of interest rate, that to me is immoral. Uh, stop the interest payments, let the people pay the principal until they default on a payment, uh, phase out the federal student loan program, give it back to the banks as well with some regulations to avoid predatory behavior. That's my hot take. Uh, as for my hot take, honestly, I've said it before. I said it for a couple of years now. College is a scam. I think that we need to stop pushing predatory ideas onto, onto, I mean, honestly, onto young adults and really onto children, right? Because there are some 17 year olds who go to college. Um, and if we want to keep up the importance of college, I think that we also need to push more forward the idea of uh, basically fuck the four year idea, right? In the sense where, if I would have known about certain things when I was in high school, I I, I could have I, I would have I would have and could have finished school. And I'm not even joking. I wish that I'd known more about the seriousness of AP programs and dual enrollment. I remember I was talking to one girl. She was 19 at the time. OK, but I was talking to one girl and she told me that when she first came into college, she already had her associate's degree and she had already and she graduated high school early. So as a freshman, she was 17 as a freshman, as a first year, rather. She was 17 coming into college as a full college student, right, with an associate's degree already because she dual enrolled, did AP classes and was, was already already had 30 hours work by the time she first stepped on the foot on the college. Right. And so if she just kept grinding it out right in two years time, not even not even including summers, she could already have her degree. 
like a full bachelor's degree by the time she was 19. Right. And I think that if we want to keep pushing forward the idea of college, then we need to push forward more, not even alternatives, but better ways to do it. Right. Let's say that you didn't go the AP and a dual enrollment route. Okay. So let's say that you decided, I think the better way of doing it would, would uh, be, what's what I'm looking for? Uh, community college, like, uh, like you suggested earlier. Right. Uh, I think that the idea of paying thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars uh, and being in dozens of thousands of dollars of debt for a college degree for honest to God, in my opinion, for most professions, a glorified piece of paper. Right. I, I think that is very problematic. And I think that that's the kind of thing that we need to move away from right there are so there's so many many degrees so many professions so many things where you don't need a college degree at all a college degree does not prove anything other than the fact that you were that you were willing to hate yourself enough to sit in front of someone lecture you for hours a day, day multiple days out of the week for four years that's all that a college degree proves for for some professions right obviously i want my elect uh, not even my electricians my, I, I want my um uh you know my doctors uh lawyers yada yada you know the, like teachers like there are a lot of jobs where you need college degrees but i think pushing it that there are so many college degrees for so many people i think that that's what's problematic and so my hot take is that basically we need to either a lessen the importance of college or b go about better ways for us to get college college degrees hmm. less expensive ways all right well tony thank you for joining us ken thank you for joining us be sure to check them out and remember you can find between the liars on spotify apple youtube twitch and Google Podcasts, and you can follow us on our social medias to stay updated. And if you enjoy this show, like, subscribe, share us with your friends, leave us a five-star review, all of the above. We'd appreciate it. And I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Bye for now.